Welcome everybody to Recovery Machine. My name's Nathan, joined as always by co-host Corey. How are you doing, co-host Corey? Hey, I'm uh, I'm really good. Good to see you, and good to be here on a unusually late session for us. But it's special circumstances tonight, so I'm excited to, to chat with everybody. Yeah, me too. We, uh, this is our largest group yet for a, a podcast episode, so this is kind of cool. And we have all return visitors, all return friends. So with us tonight, we've got Burton McLean, your father, who uh, did an episode. I, I wish I had collected the dates that all of these folks joined us previously, but uh, I didn't. But Burton joined us for an episode on shame that is one that is still uh, something that I go back and listen to. I've actually gone back and listened to all three of these individuals' podcasts today. But Burton joined us for an episode about shame and is a member of our community. Carmel. Yeah, so Carmel had joined us in, I think, our fifth or sixth episode, a very early episode we did um, as a just a feature of, you know, we, you and I were interested in highlighting some individual stories. And Carmel is, again, someone from our community that we um, both got to know well, and, and she graciously joined us early on for a, a really wonderful episode. And that episode is, to me, still resonates with me very much. And then Sheldon and Sheldon, um, you joined us shortly thereafter. I think you, I think you were the last of, of our three guests here tonight that had joined our, our podcast, your story, again, re-listening to your story today, your story, you're probably the person here who ha I have the most similarities to in, in, in story as with a nursing background, with our substance of choice. And your story is still knocks me on my ass to re-listen to it well over a year later, it still is just floors me. It's remarkable. So that's who's with us. And, yeah. and then of course there's Nathan McLean. Yes. What we've decided to do here is uh, bring these folks back. Uh, we're going to see how they're doing and uh, we're going to try something a little bit different than we usually do. It will be, I guess, sort of related to growth and development, uh, but it doesn't have to be. We're, we're going to keep this pretty casual we have slowed down a little bit on the podcast. Uh, well, quite a bit, actually. We're down to once a month here. But we thought before the Christmas season, we'd bring some people in that all had pretty good ratings. We thank you for that. And uh, yeah, so what uh, we talked about this a little bit, what was it? Uh, a couple of days ago, decided we're going to try this idea where uh, we've picked a few questions, three to be exact, Two of which I have to give credit to uh, Timothy Ferris, the guy who wrote uh, Four Hour Work Week and Tribe of Mentors. And these, uh, so we got, we have two questions from Tribe of Mentors because they're just damn good questions. And then uh, me and Corey put another one in there as well. So we're going to uh, just go around and uh, whoever wants to start, just uh, how you doing? How you been doing? What's going on right now? And uh, we'll do like, uh, I don't know, a couple of minute check-in like you would at a meeting. I can start. I'm uh, Burton McLean and uh, glad to see everybody. Good friends over the years of our journey through recovery together. And yeah, good to see everybody. My path has brought me back to this last year about my spiritual beliefs and uh, how that fits in to a very important question that I wouldn't, I would actually uh, answer as one of the questions of, what would you give advice to a, a 10 or a 20 year old person? And that is to uh, explore your belief system, explore what you, you actually believe. And the best question I've ever heard to uh, 
express that is whom do you serve? So uh, I've thought a lot about that question and I've encountered it in groups and I've encountered it in, in conversation with people. And it's very, it's interesting to delve into that. And that's what I've been doing for the last year or so. And uh, so I'd be willing to share a little bit about that exploration and why I think that question is important. Um, okay. Yeah, that's it. Okay, thank you. I'm Carmel. I got out of Caduceus in March. So I've been free um, <laughs> out of jail for since March, according to the college. But things are good. Life is good. Navigating my way through how my life is outside of Caduceus and outside of being monitored. And uh, it's been a good journey so far. It's been really interesting. So, yeah, and life is good. That's good it's to hear. Not much, it's not much different. So, and I'm, I'm excited about these questions because I think my five-year journey of recovery was kind of all of those questions wrapped into one, just navigating through those questions and, and um, exploring kind of who I am without substances and stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been a good five years. Excellent. Okay. Thanks for having me out. Uh, yeah, I, I, life just kind of keeps ticking along. Relationships with people are fantastic. Relationships with my kids are fantastic. Uh, I find that I'm, I'm able to much better navigate uh, personal and professional relationships. And um, big focus felt this year was on our business. Uh, it's been a challenging year, a substantially challenging year, and we, we've come out really well. So other than that, I mean, I stayed pretty active. Um, doing a lot of uh, personal fitness stuff and uh, taking my my uh, wife and my son along for that that ride and uh, starting to get back into community mentorship stuff to to try and help impart some some different I mean it's different like there's seven year old kids eight year old kids five year old kids is is different but it's amazing the conversations you can start having there. Uh, as they start coming up through those ages. So we're coaching some hockey teams and getting involved in some different communities. And it's, uh, it's very rewarding. Yeah. This guy did cut 240 hours clocked last year on uh, just the recorded physical fitness. That's like marathons, bike running, weightlifting. Um, so it's probably much higher than that. And so you, you know, you put that into terms, this guy's training like probably an hour a day consistently, which is pretty wild. You know, you're not 20. I get it. It's a challenge. Well, and that, that kind of goes into the questions too, because it's, you know, what do you commit to? What are you doing mm -hmm. consistently? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Corey, you want to bring us up to date on uh, people haven't heard from you for a month? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm in a program to teach adult education in the, into the second course of that. It's sort of a one course at a time style and have an, have another teaching contract for an adult ed program coming up in the new year. So very much diving into that. And, uh, it, you know, it, it fits very much with, with my family life and my home life and it's working really well. And I really like, I like the content that I'm learning so far. It feels validating that being an educator is something that I think is one of the things that I am meant to do. Yeah, and just the, the way I've been gone about doing the education and and doing these work contracts, you know, I've got a second second child now, and I didn't when we started the podcast, obviously, 
and having a second kid now uh <laughs> has changed uh, changed my uh my availability changed everything in my life and being able to be at home the work i'm doing and the courses i'm doing are all from home so being able to be home with my partner while she's on mat leave and getting to do that together is just such a vastly different experience than i had with my with my first child and it's uh it's just been i'm I'll touch on it in some of the questions too, but I'm grateful for it in so many ways because it's just been so positive for, yeah. for every aspect of my life. So, yeah. No, and, and how about you, sir? That's amazing. Yeah. So I just finished my first trimester of school. Uh, I'm back in uh, back in doing my uh, master's for counseling. So um, there's something about learning. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I said it before when I'm in school, I, I just feel like I could just, be in school forever. And I don't know, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I'll just keep going to school until I max out and they, they uh, kick me out or something. But yeah, that's, that's mainly what I've been doing. I slowed down at the pharmacy I was working at. And then uh, after that bad batch of Trank dope uh, showed up here, I, that was about as much as I could take. So uh, I decided to step out on that and just it's not worth it for me to uh, be put in a position where I'm watching people drop off like that. So I decided to uh, move away from that and focus solely on my studies. And then, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing right now. So I think we could probably uh, get to our questions. Uh, Corey, what do we got to start? And well, I guess we'll pick somebody. How about Mr. McLean Sr.? We'll give the first question to you. Go ahead, Corey. Yeah, I was going to pick Mr. McLean Sr. as well for this one first. <laughs> uh, so, Burton, if you could have one gigantic billboard with anything written on it, metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions or billions of, the, of people, the whole world would see it, what would you say on the billboard and why? I would pick a, a Carl Jung quote that uh, has been very important to me, and that is, what you need most is in the place you least want to look. I don't know if they, that's the exact quote, but it's it's definitely the the way I've I've carried that question internally, and you know, I'm, as I'm processing things, if I can encourage people to not do all the things that distract them every single day, and all the things that they're doing or saying or involved in that is keeping them from feeling those negative type feelings that we you know spend so much of our time avoiding. And actually turning towards that and facing it and digging into it and making some small change that it's just a, I think there's such a huge benefit there rather than letting problems pile up until they're, they become overwhelming and you get into some sort of, you know, addictive cycle or something like that. So that would be the statement I'd like to put out there is look in those hard places, you know, go back and, and sort those relationships out that were difficult. Uh, the family traumas that you've felt, the, the rejection, the failures, that's where all, you know, Carl Jung believed that that's where the gold was in our life. That's where the real value was, was sifting through that stuff and, and finding the, the nuggets that were in there for us. And I've come to believe that that's true. So yeah, that's what I would be encouraging people to do. I love that one. My husband would be so, he would be so just like bouncing out of his seat right now. He's like obsessed with Carl Jung. So to yes. me, the most important part of that whole line is, is like what you don't want to check out. 
And I mean, so many of us, certainly myself included at different stages of my life have not wanted to turn over that particular rock. And that of course is the rock that you got to turn over. <laughs> From my experience, I've found that it's never as bad as, as what you think it's going to be. You know, there, especially if you're doing it with help within a, a, a group or a, some sort of counseling situation where you've got support, you know, you want to do those kinds of things with support. If it happens to be like, for instance, a financial problem, get financial help from people that are, that's their job. You know, if it's a medical issue, don't leave it, you know, go see the doctor. If it's a, uh, you know, relationship problem, you know, get somebody that's, that's doing those kinds of interventions and counselings and work with them. Find somebody that can help you with it. You don't have to do this stuff alone. Agreed. Well said. What did you have for that one, Carmel? Well funny that you should say that it wasn't a Carl Jung quote but it kind of goes exactly to just segue into what Burton had just said was I kind of wrestled with two but the one that I kept coming back to was and I know it's so generic but ask for help if you're struggling I would put that in big bold letters with italics and all the exclamation marks afterwards I just wish that I would have been able to have been a little bit braver when I was really lonely and feeling those feelings of abandonment and probably not turning over those rocks because I didn't really look there. I was just like pushed it down and pushed it down until I was in real trouble. So, you know, and I know that, you know, with mental health, it's starting to come around where it's less scary to ask for help and more, I think our generation, it was harder to ask for help. But I think now the younger kids are kind of learning that it's okay to speak up and ask for help. Um, but that's what I would say. The other one that I thought about was, it's actually a Timothy Leary quote. Um, <laughs> and it's just the very end of the Timothy Leary quote. And it just says, find the others. Yeah. So find people that are like you and find the others, find your tribe, find the people that you resonate with. They're out there and they will support you and lift you up and help you and love you. And Crocodiles, right, Sheldon? Yeah, that's, that's funny, right? Mm hmm a therapist who who uh, he refers to people with addictive tendencies as crocodiles. You know, the best the best way for crocodiles, they're cold blooded animals, to find their heat is they get into big groups and you know find that sunshine. So there's something about the power of it, I guess. And what did you have uh, for that question? It, again, it does it. It kind of is very similar. Um, I would say do hard things. Mm. And that's something that's kind of come up through uh it's, it's interesting it's come up through the marathon training and the ironman training and something that you know i got up to being 270 pounds i didn't think you know like running five kilometers or running along around the block was kind of uh, an out out there goal and this year getting to a half ironman it it actually wasn't that hard it was just time on task over time it was just consistency and commitment and i learned a ton about myself doing it but in reflecting on that question, by far the hardest thing I ever did and the most growth I've ever uh, encountered in my life was my recovery, right? Getting down to that, that lowness and figuring it out and thriving afterwards. I don't know if there's anything I'll ever do that, that can hold a candle to that. Uh, let's pray that there's never anything you have to do that will hold a candle to that. Yeah, you, you bounce back in... Uh... I mean that in a, I'm changing my life, I'm doing something else, and here I go, and I'm doing a scary thing immediately, right when you're the most scared. 
that is that is the the nature of doing the hard thing right and i presume everybody here's had that similar journey in some way i don't know what what's harder than looking in that mirror eventually when you're at that low low spot and saying like you know, I, I, I know clearly I had a moment where it was, do I go out on the street and find street drugs or do I say this stops now and I'm going to, I'm going to change the direction of my life. And then trying to do that with what seems like the whole world against you at that time, right? Like you have the, the union, that machine, you have your friends and loved ones that don't believe in you. You certainly don't believe in yourself. No, that's the worst part I think is you, you're the weakest you've been in your adult life, right? You're like a, you know, you're, it's like being kicked back down to being a child. You're raw, emotionally labile. You can't, you know, you can't string two thoughts together. And now you've got to try to like dig out and uh, yeah, good one. Again, you know, having, having that, that's something that we work on with our children and with the children we, we mentor is building that resiliency in everything mm. we, you know, start doing hard things now. Well, it's okay. Like, you know, my son, he ran his, he's nine. He ran his first 10 K race in November. And he was like, dad, 10 K that's crazy. Like, don't like, that's okay. What do you want to do? He's like five. Okay. Let's run five. And the next day, well, let's do five and a half. Let's do six. He's like, man, this is easy. Let's do 10. Now he's like, let's do 40 dad. I want to do a marathon. Crazy kid. <laughs> that's fantastic. The question is if you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions or billions of people, what would it say and why? Yeah, we're, we ha- definitely have some themes happening already tonight, and I, I'm not surprised. Similar to Burton's, actually, and I said, challenge your thoughts. Ask them who, what, when, where, and why. And for myself and for, I think, I just say, I, I look at the world right now, and I, I think when we take our thoughts at face value and we let our all of our actions be commanded by that first thought or that um, that sort of unconscious thought or that back thought. It takes us down so many harmful paths. It takes us towards conflict. It takes us towards self-hatred. It takes us towards self-destruction. And just challenging the thought and saying, like, why am I what why am I thinking this? What is the belief behind that thought? Where did that come from? Why, why have I been telling myself this story for so damn long? That's when the thought can change and that's when the action can change. But when we get stuck in this pattern, that's why we, to me, why we have so much division, why there's war, et cetera, et cetera. It's just being commanded by our thoughts without challenging them only leads to harm and doesn't lead to growth. Yeah. Both on a personal and a global really level. Yeah. 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 Uh, Well said. Yeah. What did you get for that one, Nathan? Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> it is kind of funny how we are uh, sort of on the same same wavelength here, and uh, even with our ordinance, uh, it, <laughs> because mine was uh, be kind to your neighbors, get to know them. If I could get people to drive by that repeatedly every day, you know, eventually they'd be like, what, "What's this guy talking about?" Be kind to your neighbors, get to know them. That's all. Western society's movement away from local support networks has weakened us tremendously. I mean, it's it's happening somewhat globally, but uh, especially in the West. And decentralized power lies in our local social networks, our friends, family, neighbors. We need each other 
we always have needed each other, but I think uh, possibly in the future, maybe we need each other more than, uh, than ever. So I don't know. I certainly felt it here when we, when we had the fires, you know, it's easy to forget when you get kind of working on your own thing. And, and then when you see a crisis and you look around and all your neighbors are standing there and they're all trying to figure it out and you realize you don't know very many of them. And you know, it's like, it's a good wake up call. And uh, I mean, hopefully we don't need a huge shakeup to get that going, but I think that we've, we've got to put down the phones, get off the, off the internet a little more and uh, just go say hi to your neighbor. That would be mine. Yes. Good one. Move to a retirement community like we did. Old people are so nosy. So we just had to get to know our neighbors because they're so <laughs> nice. And we love them. And now I have like a whole bunch of second parents on either side of me. Yeah, it's great. But yeah. That's good advice. I like it. So what's our next question, Corey? Next one is really interesting. I'm still thinking about this question, but I, I do have an answer formulated. But I don't know. Maybe we'll mix up the order for the second question. I'm going to ask. I'll start with Sheldon. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Uh, I'm glad you asked me first because I I feel like this will be on repeat uh, from everybody. But it it is it's self care, Uh, it's self care, self love. It's you know making the time for me and whatever that means at that time. Sometimes it's it's getting that workout in. Or it's just getting that walk in, that quietness, could even be a drive, or it's it's getting, if I need to work and I just need alone time to work, if I need time with my children or time with my wife, it's it's just self-care stuff and making sure that that space is, is there because that's probably the, the biggest area that I lacked for years. Yeah, an easy trap to fall into these days for sure, especially, well, especially with the career that you've chosen and your work ethic and the way that you've went at the uh, physical fitness and stuff like that, it's yeah, especially important to, to try and find balance there for sure. What do you tell yourself when you think I'm just too busy? What's your, how do you challenge that? I know that's bullshit. Yeah. I, it's all bullshit. I mean, I was listening to a podcast. I know a British guy, it's diary of a CEO. It's Steve something. And he was interviewing with Mel Robbins. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, people who are uh, doctors or teachers or marketing execs, and they're just unfulfilled in their life. And she's like, well, you got to change it. Like, you have to stop that career and go do something that fulfills you. Um, And that's something we've talked about on various episodes. You guys have touched on it plenty. Why we feel that we're trapped into a marriage or a lifestyle or a paycheck or a profession Changing these things might be hard, but it's it's necessary. And so, like, if if I'm really overwhelmed or I'm, I don't have time, I don't have time. I mean, that's the biggest nonsense excuse. I guarantee I've got 15 to 30 minutes to scroll on my phone every day. Mm. Take 15 to 30 minute walk. I don't know. It's always it's all nonsense. That's all I know. It's like people say I don't have time to cook healthy, but going out for dinner t- takes more time than cooking healthy. Yeah, and it's much more expensive. So I, I think it's, we just got to stop lying to ourselves. There's, there's time. We just don't want to. Personally, I, I know my life. I'm busy. I, I am a busy friggin' dude. And I have time. Yeah, agreed. Carmel, what did you get for in the last five years? What new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I kind of like Sheldon's and I want to steal it, but he already <laughs> said it. So I'll pick what I originally had. And it has been for me 
setting firm boundaries. You know, I didn't know how to do that before. And I kind of just not only setting firm boundaries with other people, but setting firm boundaries with myself. What do I allow myself? That's dramatically improved my life. When to say no and when to tell family <laughs> I need a break or when to tell work I need a break or um, setting boundaries at work has been very important to me. I never had that before. And it's been a game changer. Definitely one of those ones that is so much easier to say than do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everybody's practice. Like for me, it was, I mean, if you guys, I mean, you guys all know me six years ago when you met me, like I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. And it was just, it's just practice and growth and daily practice at learning how to do it. And, you know, and then it just kind of comes natural, becomes kind of part of you, like what feels right innately. And you will just not really stray from that too much. If, if something doesn't feel right in my soul now, like whereas before I'd be like, oh, I'll make it happen. But now I'm just like, nope. And it opens up so much space in your life, kind of going back to Sheldon's, like allowing for self-care time when you don't have to kind of wrestle with those boundaries. So yeah, it's been good. Super important one. Yep. And that brings us to uh, Burton, Corey. I had to toss this one around a couple of times too. Um, but the one I'll just, for the sake of variety in our discussion, I'll say I'm establishing connection and establishing vulnerability in those connections. You know, I had this initial thought of, well, becoming a parent, but it wasn't becoming a parent that made me vulnerable and made me more connected. Because I initially, in my initial stages of parenting, was not. It was through the recovery, finding a recovery community that I became more connected and learned to give of myself and be vulnerable with people that I cared about and who that cared about me to reestablish relationships and to find new relationships to develop a relationship with a, a partner that I've that is unlike anything I've ever had in terms of being able to reveal who I am and where I'm at on a on a bad day and, and just in terms I, I wrote down a quote or I have a quote saved that to me is so much about this I I love a Christmas Carol like the Charles Dickens 1951 version of a Christmas Carol uh, I could watch that movie every month of the year, but instead I just, I watch it and rewatch it usually by mid-December and on. Cause you know, it, it, it's so much about this man's discovery of charity, but what he's really actually doing when you boil it down is he's opening himself up to the possibility of connecting with people. He gets visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley, his old coworker, and he's in shackles and chains and he's got all these things that are weighing him down as a ghost And he says, it's required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad with his fellow men and travel far and wide. And that if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, woe is me and witness what it cannot share, but what it might have shared on earth and turned to happiness. To me, it's like, it's not about religion. It's not about whether or not you believe in a ghost or a spirit or not, or an afterlife or not, but the those metaphorical shackles when you are kind of keeping yourself from being connected and being vulnerable. And then you can, you can sort of see that glimmer of happiness or those connections just on the outside or just outside of your, your circle. And yeah, I just think there's such a lesson in that. And so I, I every December I dive hard into that movie over and over again, and among a few other ones. And that, you know, that's what every Christmas movie is actually about. It's about the the person, the 
the antagonist or the person who's struggling is struggling with the connections in their life. It's a wonderful life. He's, you know, he's going to jump off the bridge and then he reestablishes connection with people with his, within his community. The Grinch, mm-hmm. the Grinch is feeling on the outside and does not feel connected to his community. And the person struggling with an addictive behavior in many cases is the same. And maybe they have a community there, but maybe there are people in their lives that they've have developed a fracture with, or, or there's pain or trauma that's getting in the way of that. So yeah, that really resonates with me. Connection, vulnerability. Very important. Or the city girl who goes to the country, her country um, <laughs> town and falls in love with the guy that owns the chocolate shop then isn't, isn't sure what she wants to do. <laughs> same, same deal. Same deal. Yeah. <laughs> also, we were playing Jeopardy at my work function. It was like a Christmas Jeopardy and I've never seen a Christmas Carol. One of the questions was, and I was, I kind of shot my hand up in a panic and it was, who was the what was the name of, I think, the guy in the Christmas Carol, like the main guy? And I put up my hand and I said, Scrooge McDuck. And they're like, no, wrong show. <laughs> and I was like, well, Ebenezer Scrooge was the name. But yeah, yeah. so. Uh, half um, marks. Half, half marks. marks for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Scrooge McDuck was from DuckTales. Anyway. Uh, that's awesome. Are you ready, uh, sir? Yeah, there's all of those are good ones for sure. And uh, yeah, thank you for that stuff. Um, one that I'm, I think I'm really learning maybe more thoroughly than I've learned it before. It's also involving boundaries, but it's that forgiveness does not necessarily require you to forget. And I think that that's, I'm learning to forgive without guilting myself about forgetting, you know, that I can be wise enough to not put myself in that situation where you know certain relationships have just not worked and you know I don't feel guilty about that I've done my best I know I've done my best and I can let that go so that's been a big one uh, recently and uh, it's taken a lot of pressure off one of the problems with that I think that I was having is like I said I've been trying to look at the beliefs underneath my beliefs and one that I dug down to, and I touched on it once before, maybe, well, it's got to be 20 years ago now, but I kind of left it. I thought I, I solved it. But one of the beliefs that I was carrying or one of the real desires that I was carrying was that I wanted to be a good boy. I can remember my mom sending me off to school, she said, oh, be a good boy today. You know, be a good boy today. And I wanted to please my mother and I wanted to be the good boy. But it became a real trap in a lot of ways, especially around conflict where I had to forgive or I wanted to forgive, but I didn't want to forget the danger that was there. So I think I'm learning the boundaries and the thing that it's freed me up to do is to find acts of service that I like to do. I like to serve, but it's not with that dark motive of me putting myself in some ego situation where I'm the good guy or, you know, that I'm somehow a good guy because I'm helping out. Rather, it's the joy of actually connecting with somebody in need, lifting, you know, giving them a hand, lifting them up in kind of gratitude for all the people that have taken me by the hand and lifted me up. Uh, It was interesting that you had 10 year old or a 20 year old, that question about the advice. And those were, those are two very important ages in my life. 
And I know that by the time I was 10 years old, I already want, I already had that underlying belief that I wanted to be a good boy. And it actually uh, trapped me in a lot of ways. So I don't know if that answers the question, but, you know, even at my age, getting ready to retire in June, I still find myself learning about myself and learning about relationships, learning about community and I put value on actually thinking about and talking about and, and discussing those kinds of things with people. And I'm always learning something. So I know that's one that you've uh, struggled with on and off. I've watched you bounce back and forth with different members of your family and your, where you're struggling to find that balance between doing the right thing, but also protecting yourself. And, uh, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. You know, you can forgive, but, you're also allowed not to forget and mm-hmm. next time you can keep your guard up. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. That curriculum right there should be in elementary schools, Burton, like elementary schools, high schools, nursing schools, mm. dentist schools. <laughs> like that is so pivotal to success in a, in a career or in a relationship with a career, or it can be the downfall too. Yeah, And like you, I, I thought what you said there about like the, it, that it's guilt that can hold you back from that or guilt that will make you say, okay, no, no, I'll just forget to, and it, I'll just take it all on. Mm-hmm. That can be so destructive. Well, it's, I think it's one of the underlying fuels of burnout. And we're seeing that in the helping professions all over the place. People get into the helping professions because they want to help. Right. But it can take a real toll if you aren't doing uh the self-care part of it, which is the other side of that. So thank you for that, Sheldon. For that question, I, uh, I had to think about it a little bit because I had in the last five years, I, there was a couple fairly significant epiphanies that I had one involving charity and the, my relationship to the way that I could find and work towards having compassion for people. And uh, I thought about that one, but I thought there was, there was one that I think has had more significant impact on me overall. And that's that justice is a human construct. It's not something that exists in nature. The logos will do as it does. Getting upset when things don't go my way is normal, but generally pointless. I think that I am here to struggle, uh, sometimes harder, sometimes softer. But uh, in general, that's, that's part of what this whole thing is. And for a long time, I guess I, I thought that, that there was some kind of universal justice in a way that if I did this or if I did that, then kind of this place would somehow pay me back. And the universe or God or, or, or whoever owes me nothing. I am accountable and I am responsible for what goes on to the best of my ability in my life. I have a small fenced area to tend to. And I can do my best with it. And, and that's all I can do. And I think once I understood that on a deeper level, then there was a part of me that was allowed to kind of relax because I, I felt that there was, I was carrying at least some part of my anger was towards this place because I felt there was an injustice in that I wasn't asked to be here. <laughs> And sometimes I do good things and I, I, I don't get good things back. 
And uh, there's a very infantile kind of attitude there. And I forget what I was reading that got me thinking about it. And then uh, one day I was out in the bush walking the dogs and I just, I, I it kind of clicked and I was like, Hmm. Yeah. That's a, that is a very humans are the only ones who think like that. I mean, uh, every other creature, every other species understands that this place is this place. It, it's going to do what it does. And life is not fair, right? No, it, it's not fair. And, uh, I know it, it sounds kind of trite or whatever, but that allowed me to free up some, uh, some capacity and some energy. So that's probably the biggest one. Close second would be the charity thing, but, uh, and what I find in that regard, Nathan, is that when I do feel like I'm somehow the one that's going to be, you know, I'm going to make sure there's justice in this situation or that situation, where I find myself is tied up with revenge, right? It's almost like that's the only path. And it, and it can be a really, really dark road. Like revenge, they say if you seek revenge, dig two graves because it's going to take you out as well, right? Yeah. And there's, you know, if you make that decision, then that's fine. There's an allowance for that here. Wrath is fully on the table. You know, mm-hmm. you know I don't uh, hold it against anybody who, uh, you know, it's perfectly understandable behavior depending on the circumstances and everything. But yes, it's, it's not a, it's certainly not a solution on any, on any grand scale and could be argued that it's not a solution at all, but it's very expensive energy wise. That's it's expensive. Yeah. But sometimes maybe yeah. the, the expense is, is uh, justified. Mm-hmm. Nietzsche says, my husband also loves Nietzsche. And he said, it kind of ties into what you were saying, Nathan, to live is to suffer, to survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's not fair, but you can find meaning in it still. That's right. And I, <laughs> coming from Nietzsche, it's, I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm coming at it from quite that dark of a spot. Uh, for me, it was actually more of an enlightenment uh, uh, moment. Yes. yes. <laughs> but nevertheless, I mean, it's kind of what we're designed to do. We are made to struggle. Remember in the Matrix when they tried to, the machines tried to make the perfect world and it failed horribly? People kept waking up because they couldn't believe it, right? Yeah, yeah. I there there's there's something to that in that we're you know I, I think human beings kind of we're kind of like sharks in in the in the way that we if we don't continue moving and we don't continue evolving then we just don't do very well. That moves us along to question number three, and what do we got for that one, Corey? Yeah, this is a, a great one. And this was one of your own questions, Nathan, I believe. Am I correct? Yes, this is mine, not Timothy Ferris's. Yeah, so credit where that. credit is due. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we'll start with Carmel with this question. So the question is, what advice would you give to 10-year-old Carmel? And then what advice would you give to 20-year-old Carmel? This was tough for me because I don't really remember. First of all, I don't have kids. And I don't remember really what I was like when I was 10, other than just being a little girl. And I think it really just brought me to the advice I give a 10 year old little me would be just be unapologetically you. Hmm. Embrace your quirks, just 
be you and be a kid and have the most fun. Because I think that's what kids are supposed to do. You know, they're learning and they're growing and they're having fun and they're just being themselves. And don't change that. Don't try to, at 10 years old, think, oh, I need to be a certain way. No, just be 10-year-old kid. For 20-year-old me, I would say, don't read Nietzsche. <laughs> it's hard. Um, but I didn't read Nietzsche as a 20-year-old. But I would say if I could look back on 20-year-old me, I was in the middle of college, grinding hard, thinking, well, being led into dentistry because that's what I was told to do and I would be good at it and I would be on the right path and I would make lots of money and blah, blah, blah and all the things. If I could go back and tell 20-year-old me anything, I would say stop, go travel, go explore the world, go get some experience of life under your belt, and then make decisions on what you want to do. And if you change your mind, change it again and change it again. And it's okay. I have it written down. Be kind to yourself when you realize that you are unhappy in a career and be okay with that change or mm. with the change. I am in this career and I'm grateful for it, but I, I often have said this throughout my whole experience of this is, you know, now I'm 41 years old and I know I can do anything at 41, but you know, I'm a little bit kind of just complacent in my career. And I wish that I would have just, just taken a break when I was that, when I was 20. Mm. Also, cause I don't think anything's guaranteed at this age anymore. I wish I would have gone and saw the world a little bit more. So. Yeah, those are both excellent. I couldn't think of better advice to give to a 10-year-old than that. At that age, I, th I think we're so anxious to try to, we want to uh, impress the people who are older than us. We want to, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what it means to, to be a human being. And, and uh, yeah, that's like both of those. Maybe we'll go, uh, I'll, I'll shoot it over to, to Sheldon. Sheldon, what would you tell 10-year-old and 20-year-old Sheldon? I'm very blessed that I have a 10-year-old Sheldon just about living with me. <laughs> son Bennett is nine. He's the spitting image and spitting personality to me for good and for bad. I tell him regularly that he's loved and he needs to hear that. That's something that I didn't hear with any conviction anyways. And he knows, he, de he definitely knows. Um, I also tell him that he's not right about everything and he doesn't have to be right about everything. And he's allowed to change his mind and change his opinion and learn and figure it out. And he's only 10. And uh, 20 year old me, I, you know, I, I think it would probably be a lot of the same. And I didn't have to own everything. I didn't have to own other people's feelings. I didn't have to own every situation. I had a lot more validity, like I was important, my feelings were important, um, and I should have probably put that on a higher level than friendships and relationships and interactions with, I don't know, universities, whatever. Just, that, you know, like, what, what do you want? Like, listen to that internal guy that's saying, yes, that's what you want, go do that thing, and not what other people or other things are pushing you towards and again like the same thing for relationships right it, being in relationships that weren't very fulfilling but you're like oh i'm going to hurt somebody's feelings or i'm going to do that or i'm going to do this and i think that's where i would go great when i i relate how about you burton what would you 
what would you tell 10 year old Burton and 20 year old Burton? Yeah, I, I'm just thinking to myself at 10 years old and uh, I knew my mom loved me for sure. Uh, she didn't have the means to give me or, or you know, look after me the way I, I needed to be looked after at that age. And my father gave me a lot of freedom to explore and figure things out, which was helpful. And I know that there was a, a teacher that I had in grade six and grade seven that was a huge impact on me. And he basically um, encouraged me through sports to really find my own limits and, and uh, be the best that I could be. And I think that encouraging a 10 year old to be the best that they can be and letting them know that at 10 years old, this is, you know, these are the kind of things you should be able to work on and, and achieve so that you know, in the future, you're going to be able to be good at these skills. And he had us do a lot of drills, for instance, in, in volleyball. He'd make us do 25 serves over the net without missing. You know, we had to work on that. That was a goal. He gave us goals and he gave us lessons on how to do it. And we worked towards it and team building and all that kind of stuff. And when I left grade seven, he put in my report card, he said, Burton will do very well in high school. And I hadn't done well in, in elementary school. I'd been in four different schools. I was behind in a lot of ways academically. And he brought me up to speed in grade six and seven. He really worked with me. And it wasn't like he should do well or he, you know, he's going to be all right. He said he will do very well in high school. And I really needed that. I needed that confidence from an adult to say, you're going to be okay. You're going you're gonna to be fine. You know, just, uh, yeah some sort of confidence building kind of statement like that you you're going to do very well you know life is is going to be great for you so that that would be the 10 year old and the 20 year old kind of a more practical uh, lesson that i learned from uh i got an opportunity to go to uh some training when i was working for transport canada they sent me out to cornwall ontario so i flew into montreal and then we go down by train and there was a, uh, a new Canadian there that was a Muslim and learning English as a second language. And he was a electrical engineer and he was teaching uh, programmable controllers, which were just new on the market. So I got this course from him, but I got to know him as a person and I asked him questions about his, about Islam. I didn't know anything about it. And he told me about his life being raised by a, a village. He was an orphan and he was raised by the village and they made sure he had an education. The whole village got together and paid for his education to go to university. And as he came to Canada, he still sent money back to that village. And he said the principle that he used was save 10%, give 10% and spend the rest frugally on your, you know, and on your family and friends as you need to live, live on 80% of your income and save 10% and give 10%. He, he continued to give 10% back to that community. And it was, it was big money to them back there. So I thought that was, you know, I wish somebody would have told me that at 20 years old mm. to, you know, start to manage your finances in a way where you're, you've got a plan and you are, being generous and you are also saving for your future. That idea of delayed gratification. I don't know if you, you guys have ever heard the, uh, the little marshmallow experiment they did with kids where they can have one marshmallow an hour if in a few minutes you have two. 
And they said that they followed those kids and that was a marker of success in life was the ability to delay gratification, to practice the piano today so you can be good at it tomorrow, to save a little bit of money so you, you can have a little more freedom in, in the future. So I think for a 20 year old, by then that you need that kind of advice. So that's more of a practical kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, super important. What did you put uh, for that one, Corey? So, I mean, I think I could fill a journal with this question. <laughs> for 10 year old Corey, I went through a couple of them, but I've come back to, it's okay to feel exactly what you're feeling at this time. I think for a host of reasons, I was a pretty approval seeking kid and didn't want to rock various boats, either at home or at school or with you know, authority figures. And so if I was feeling something contrary to what was going on or adverse to that, it became, it got tied up as shame, I think, and was kind of either kept me quiet or kept me saying what people wanted to hear, even at 10 and, uh, and certainly more so a little bit later on. And, and that led to secrecy and shame. And that's really destructive. And I would tell myself, I would, I think if I was parenting 10 year old Corey, I would want to parent him in a way that helped relieve him of that and, and foster him to be and feel exactly how he was. And then 20 year old Corey, I mean, 20 year old Corey is such an extension of 10 year old Corey. I mean, and I guess this is the whole thing, right? Like it would be very much the same thing. Like at 20, I was in, I think I would have been in second year nursing school by that time and was excelling and was really my instructors in that community was aware that I was going to be really good at it. And, but the thing that I kept on being told was that you got to be more assertive. You got to be more assertive. And I was this, I was really getting, I was really benefiting from the praise I was getting for this person that I was, that I was becoming professionally and, you know, in this role. And so I think it sort of created an avatar of sorts. And I, I think I would have told him, if you don't shed that avatar and you know, you're okay to be in this authentically as you are underneath that avatar. You can be a great nurse and, and feel however you feel or have a bad day. And if you don't, it might fucking kill you. <laughs> like it is not without consequence that you, you know, if you don't shed that, don't chip away at that, at this sort of version of yourself that you're trying to constantly put forward for approval. And if you don't start unloading all of these rocks in your backpack that were partly created through my job, through, you know, my desire to put myself into these really challenging situations, even when I was a brand new green horn nurse, because that's how I established approval and identity. If you're not careful of that and don't tend to those things that you're experiencing, they will come back to bite you hard, yeah. you know, and, and then I would have taken 30 year old Corey and said, you, you still didn't listen. <laughs> you didn't listen at 10. You didn't listen at 20. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. takes that, it takes that long. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other thing, I, this is kind of an aside, but the other thing I think I would have told myself at 20 was don't worry about relationships until you're 30 about like romantic relationships uh, to me. And I, I've heard a, a hockey, can't remember who it was, but like, that was his advice that he would give to a young hockey player. It's like, don't be in a relationship until you're 30. Mm. I think there's something to that. Um, for me, like at 20 with the things that I hadn't learned and hadn't figured out and was feeling, 
there's no way I could have had a sort of, they were, these were good people and it was fine, but like, there's no way it could have been more than that and something healthy and really constructive and productive until I figured more about myself out. Yeah. Having yeah. a start marriage in her twenties, I would vote for that. <laughs> <laughs> little back yeah. up there for you, Corey. And, uh, that's you, buddy. How about you? It. That's me. Okay. So 10 year old me, when I was growing up, when I first went to school and generally I, I got told a lot that I was smart and I, I don't know how that tied into my identity, but what it did do is cause me some problems with realizing that my intellect, uh, for better or for worse, is insignificant or much less significant than my work ethic. And I think if I would have been able to go back and just take my 10-year-old self aside, I would have said, being smart is good, but without hard work, it won't get you very far. Self-discipline, hard work, good habits, those things will beat intelligence all day long. Not that I would have wanted to shake my <laughs> the foundations of my intellectual confidence, but I would have, I would have uh, liked to. I, I think it it allowed me to coast, or it made me feel like I could coast, and perhaps that was deleterious a little bit for me. So that's ten year old for 20, 20 year old me. I would have said, "This is your life, no one else's. Explore more and trust yourself." Nobody knows you better than you. Fuck what people say. Fail shamelessly. Learn from the experience and keep moving forward. There is no place to get to where you will be able to relax or just relax or put your feet up. I had this idea that, you know, if I could just do this and I could get to there and then eventually everything would be good. Forget about trying to get to that place. Just learn and keep moving. And when I was thinking about this earlier today at... Uh, it reminded me of a Dune quote from the second book by uh, Frank Herbert. And always he fought the temptation to choose a clear, safe course, warning that path leads ever down into stagnation. And that wraps us right back to the start. Do hard things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was really good, guys. I, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I knew you you would all come up with some interesting stuff. Yeah. What do you think, Corey? Yeah, that was great. Like, what a treat to be able to have this conversation. 